0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Early 1700s, I don't remember the dates, and they're not listed here. Uh, But I'll just start, it's just one paragraph, so bear with me. It says, sometime after this this change upon the soul of Mr. Cotton, it came unto his turn again to preach at St. Marie's. And because he was to preach, a high expectation was raised through the whole university that they should have a sermon, flourishing indeed with all the learning of the whole university. Many difficulties had Mr. Cotton in his own mind. Now what course to steer? On the one side, he considered that if he should preach with a scriptural and Christian plainness... He should not only wound his own fame exceedingly, but also tempt carnal men to revive an old cavil that religion made scholars turn dunces, whereby the name of God might suffer not a little. What he's saying there is, uh, one, one consideration here is, he knows he has gifts as an orator, but that if he really digs in and speaks in a manner that they've come to expect, meaning with all the flourishes and all the talents and all the all the color uh, then uh, uh th- that if he, rather if he doesn't do that then he's going to be thought to be an idiot and it's going to hurt his chances down the road he's not going to be uh he's not going to be as sought after and then uh, on the other side, he considered that it was his duty to preach with such a plainness, as became the oracles of God which are intended for the conduct of men in the paths of life, not for theatrical ostentations or entertainments. And the Lord needed not any sin of ours to maintain his own glory. Pretty self-explanatory, meaning he feels like he needs to preach plainly no matter what the consequences because God doesn't need the help of his talents or any theatrics. So uh, hereupon... Mr. Cotton resolved that he would preach a plain sermon, even such a sermon as uh, in his own conscience he thought would be most pleasing unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and he discoursed practically and powerfully, but very solidly upon the plain doctrine of repentance. The vain wits of the university disappointed thus with a more excellent sermon, meaning this was a better sermon than they expected. They wanted a better performance and not as good a sermon. (laughs) That shot some troublesome admonitions into their consciences, revealed their vexation at this disappoint at their at this disappointment by their not humming, as according to their sinful and absurd custom they had formerly done. And this is the part I wanted to share with you. He reads this. Uh, uh, Doctor Sweeney read this to us and explained that rather than shout "Amen" or preach it or uh, burn the stump preacher or anything like that, what they would do to keep the preacher going. To, let the, to, to signal their approval, would be to sit there and go, Mmm, 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 mmm. So, I bring this up tonight because this is something that sounds really good to me. Because an amen is encouraging, but it can be kind of distracting. But a general hum kind of sounds like a purr. Mmm, let's try that again. Mmm, oh yeah. Doesn't that, sound, doesn't that just bear witness with you? That's supposed to be a humming in church, right? All right. Okay, we're on the same sheet of music now. Yeah. The honorary doctorate. <laughs> no, I didn't. Did I get one? <laughs> honorary doctorate. Uh, yeah, you have to remind me about that. All right, listen, I'm going to preach to you out of two psalms tonight. One of them is my absolute favorite, Psalm 103. A lot of you know that, and it's been probably a better part of a year before, since I've preached it, so it's about time. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing this time, just the first uh, five verses, and then we're going to look at Psalm 101. But beginning in Psalm 103, and what we're talking about tonight is uh, just one aspect of our vision, which is to live the gospel. You remember when we laid this out a number of weeks ago, live the gospel, preach the gospel, you want to remember that there are two sides to living the gospel, and one of them is to enjoy the benefits of the gospel, and one is to fulfill the commands of the gospel uh, meet the requirements of the gospel, and then preach the gospel of course plays off of that because one of the go- one of the commands one of the requirements of the gospel is to preach the gospel but let 's look first at psalm one o three because this is uh, maybe the best thing in the Old Testament about enjoying the benefits of the gospel. Beginning in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles and it goes on this whole psalm is fantastic uh, it went when, when it, and, and but what it does then is expound or expand on the blessings that have been enumerated in the first five verses it talks about forgiving our diseases it talks later on about uh, in just a few verses down about how uh, as far as the heavens are high or as high uh, for as the heavens are as high above the earth so great is his mercy toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far as he removes our sins from us and uh, as a father uh, pities his children or has mercy on his children in the same manner the lord pities and has mercy on those who love him Uh, this is a wonderful picture of the forgiveness and the mercy and the kindness of god and the command and the encouragement the exhortation in these uh, opening verses, is to bless the Lord, to speak well of him. So there's an element in there of preach the gospel. Don't just sit there satisfied knowing these things, but say them, speak them. Uh, But what we're looking at in these first five verses are some of the basic benefits of the salvation package. And I want to say again, I want to reiterate, this is something that needs to be nailed down in our spirits, in our minds, something we just need to be. It just needs to always be, not only deep down, but also on the surface. It needs to be through and through with us. That healing, provision, uh, these things are not best understood as fringe benefits they are part of what jesus accomplished at the cross they are a part of the whole package that is salvation many people who want to consider that well of course god can heal and god has healed and has healed and god will heal they want to stop short of saying that uh, it's our right or that we are entitled to it in any way. And entitled is a tricky word. Uh, maybe qualified is a better word. But the fact is we are entitled to it. If you, look at, if you think about what that word means, if I hold the title to something, it means something that... Uh, it, it's, well, you've probably heard a sermon, uh, I think Dad has preached an excellent sermon on this, about the difference between ownership and possession. Something might be legally mine, and therefore I own it. But do I possess it? It might be in another state. It might be in another country. And all I have is the title deed. And God's word is the title deed to things like our healing and our superabundant provision. These are things that He has promised, and they are things that He purchased with His sacrifice. And that whole package is salvation. Now, what we recognize, and this, this part is true, even if He had not included healing, provision, joy, any of these things that we can experience in the here and now, even if he had not included those, this is still a great deal. Salvation is a great deal if all he did was rescue us from hell. But it's just a flat-out lie to say that that's all he did. And we're fools, and we're proud we are something. It's, it's, it's nuts that we think uh, in some sort of uh, sense of false humility. That we want to say, well, I'm not not concerned about these things. All I care about is that God's got a little corner of heaven for me when I die. Why is that all you care about when God bought you much more than that? He didn't have to have those stripes laid on Jesus to save you. You understand that, right? His shed blood and death was what was necessary. But those stripes were laid on Jesus specifically to secure your healing. So why not claim that? Why not rejoice in it? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And this is also the command. Forget not all of his benefits. Don't forget these things. Yeah, and what's number one? He forgives all of your iniquities. And he heals all your diseases. Man, oh man forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is about having a good life. All right? You know, our uh, brother Joel Osteen wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. I got to admit, I didn't read it. I thumbed through it. I read some of it. But he took so much flack just for the title. People are saying, well, that's heresy. I can tell it's heresy just by the title because God never intends this to be our best life. Our best life is up there with him. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying this is better than anything else. He's saying that while you're here, during now, you might as well have the best life possible. He, no way this, is he advocating that this is going to be better than heaven. But that's what this verse is saying. This verse, or This passage is talking about having your best life possible now. For now. Yeah, we're all going to get to the point where we look back on this part of our life and say, wow, does not compare. But we might as well enjoy the benefits of salvation. This is that part of living the gospel. All right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name, and don't forget any of his benefits. Because if you forget any of his benefits you are not going to be able to fully express the praise that he is due. You're going to be, you're going to be praising him from a beat-down, uh, not just a humble position, but a humiliated position. All right? So let's remember everything he's done, everything he's purchased, the mechanism through which he has purchased it, because it was Christ's finished work that qualifies us and entitles us And there's a difference. I think the word entitles is kind of one of those, uh, you're kind of walking a tightrope there because entitled almost sounds like deserves. And we don't deserve it, but we are entitled to it because he has handed that title over to us in the form of his word, in the form of the finished work of Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, these things are ours. All right? So when we're talking about enjoying the benefits of the gospel, this is one side of the living the gospel that we're talking about and this is the maybe the best uh, passage certainly in the old testament uh that kind of encapsulates that, all right? There are all sorts of blessings enumerated. You can read about it in Deuteronomy when he talks about what my people, what the righteous are entitled to, what I'm going to do for the righteous. And then we look flip over to the New Testament and we read that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And if we are in Christ Jesus, then all these promises that God made the righteous in the Old Testament belong to us. And they are enumerated in other places. I just like how this in five verses it's a nice, compact way of appreciating everything that God has done for us, and in blessing and again in that word bless there is the there is the uh you know the Hebrew word gives us uh the sense of a eulogy speaking saying good things about it's not just sitting there and appreciating god it's speaking good things about god and in speaking things we activate the power of the tongue we are speaking things. this and this isn't just a faith church right this is a word of faith church we believe that there is power in the words of our mouths we know this is true. The world knows this is true, right? But we understand the source of that, that we have, a, we have the ability to change our circumstances, change our lives by lining up our confession with what God has spoken. Uh, we were having a discussion. Jerry, I don't know if you were there. This is one of our Thursday morning coffees. We were talking about the word rhema. I don't know if you were Yeah, you were there. And uh, what it means. You know, how, anybody remember, you, you, you guys know the word rhema. What does it mean? It's the spoken word, right? Uh, But that word, so whenever I speak, it's the power of my speaking. Well, no, the best, and I remember we were talking, what's the best way to uh, define that word? And I can remember when I was probably 14, 15 years old, uh, sitting in church, and I can't even remember who was speaking this, but their explanation of this is still, I think, the best one. It's not just the written word versus the spoken word. It is the written word spoken. You are not speaking your words. You are speaking what God has already spoken and had written down. That's the power of the Rama. So we find out what God has spoken about himself. We find what God has spoken about us, and that's what we speak, and we bless the Lord. We don't say, oh, God, please have mercy on me and heal me. We say, bless you, Lord. You are a good God because you are my healer. You heal all my diseases just as surely as you forgive all my sins. You fill my mouth and my life with good things, and you redeem my life from the pit. That means you prosper me. You set me in a broad place. In a flat land, you've removed the obstacles from my life just as surely as you forgive my sin. Now, flip back two Psalms to Psalm 101. And we'll start. We're going to read the whole thing. It's shorter, but we'll read the whole thing this time. Beginning in verse 1. Psalm one. I will, sing of the mer- I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. O, oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, some of these verses need some explanation. They need some clarification because of the language. And if you're reading out of a New American Standard or maybe a different translation, uh, you've probably already got some insight in this. Uh, but uh, going back, we'll just back up here to uh, to verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. What he's saying here, that word fall away uh, is Apostasy. He just, he cannot, and this is David, this is a psalm of David, he cannot stand the fact that there are people who believed and no longer believe, who live like a believer and sees living like a believer. This is something he simply can't abide by. And he's saying, that's not going to cling to me. And, that, and that's something I would like to point out. Uh, of all the things we look at that bother us, You know, I can tolerate the unbeliever. And we see it, uh, good grief. And in this day and age, in the information age, they've got a platform just like you and I have a platform. And we see all this stuff, people uh, railing in vain against God. Uh, None of that really bothers me. But it bothers me and it should bother you when people used to believe who then switch sides. Those who fall away. I can't abide by that. I hate the work of those who fall away, it shall not cling to me, a perverse heart shall depart from me, I will not know wickedness. He who secretly slanders his, his neighbor him I will destroy. Uh, that word destroy is probably better rendered silenced. I'm not going to listen to them. I'm just gonna when they start to talk bad about their neighbor to me, I'm just gonna say shut up. I don't want to hear it. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. That word serve uh, might be better rendered minister to. In other words, I'm going to follow, I'm going to listen, I'm going to allow the people to speak into my life who, have, uh, who are walking in the way of integrity. Integrity. All right, now this is something you've got to be careful with, and I'm thinking of uh, a certain person that I absolutely will leave unnamed because he's a blessing to me. He's been a blessing to me for a number of years. But uh, it takes this hard stand uh, that almost sounds like, in fact, it just flat does sound like, and I'm I'm giving him the benefit of doubt and grace just because I know the guy, and I know he walks in love. Uh, But to read some of the things he writes, you think, man, if you've ever fallen in any area of your life, you have no right to say anything to me. Uh, and I'm serious. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so harsh and it's so judgmental uh, that sometimes I just have to look at it and laugh. And I don't think that's advisable because I have things to learn from people who fell. Uh, I would rather learn from their fall than learn from mine. Um, good night. We, we learn things about David and his, from his fall. King David I'm talking about, right? Uh, there, we, we certainly can learn things from people's mistakes. And somebody who has fallen and then come back uh, has something to speak to me. Uh, on the other hand, I'm talking, I don't think he's talking about somebody who has never fallen. He's talking about somebody who manages these things, including his falling, uh, his failings, with integrity, manages them honestly, confronts them, gets them out in the open, and tells you, here's what I learned from my fall. Here, Maybe this will help you. This is the person who can minister to me, not somebody with no humility and not somebody who doesn't care about their moral failings. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell. I'm skip down here. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence early. I will destroy or silence again all the wicked of the land that I might cut off, all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, here's why I read that again. When we're looking at Psalm 103 and we see these great words of David, which are absolutely inspired, those are worth speaking and reading out loud, Right? because we weave that right into our confessions. Bless you, Lord. My whole soul blesses you. I bless you with everything in me because uh, you are a good God and you have showered me with benefits. Thank you, Lord, because you have forgiven my sins. I don't have to beg you for forgiveness. You've promised me. You've told me right in your word. You forgive my iniquities. Thank you, Lord, for healing my body, head to toe, front to back, side to side, inside and out. Thank you, Lord, that this is something you've already provided, something you've promised, something you've purchased with the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for filling my mouth, filling my life with good things, redeeming me from the pit. You have good plans for me in this life, and I thank you for it, and you've purchased it. It's not something, again, not something we have to beg him for. These are what? They are prayers, but they're also positive confessions. They're not one or the other. Our positive confessions in the form of gratitude is a uh, a legitimate prayer. All right? Thanksgiving, but it's an expression of our faith. Uh, But now we go back over to Psalm 101, and it's really the same thing. What are we reading here? Remember the Psalms were written as a prayer book and as a hymn book for Israel. And these are this is full of declarations here. I will, I will, it shall, it shall not. These are the things that we also need to be confessing. In Psalm 103 it's a matter of I'm confessing and speaking and thanking him for one side of living the gospel, which is enjoying the benefits. In Psalm 101 I'm confessing and declaring that I will fulfill the other side of living the gospel, which is obeying. I'm going to walk in a certain way. I'm going to walk in integrity. And, I, and, and look at this. Do you think this is a reasonable thing? When he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Skip down. I will not know wickedness. Now, how reasonable is that? Is there anybody in here who has not known wickedness? We've all seen things we shouldn't have seen, listened to things, laughed at things, said things, done things, thought things that are wicked. And thank God for the blood of Jesus. And thank God for 1 John 1, 9. We confess, we repent, we move on, and God takes that sin and casts it in the sea of forgetfulness. He forgives all my iniquities. Aren't you glad? Mmm. Mmm. But let's also be confessing this. What the, what the psalmist here is saying. Who wrote this? David. Had David known wickedness? You better believe he had. And he was very aware of it. All right. But what's he saying? He's not saying I'm better than everybody else, and I'm not going to make the same mistakes as everybody else. He's speaking this over himself. Lord, I know this is your desire for me, and so I'm lining up my confession with what you want. And I'm declaring I will not set something wicked before my eyes, even though he already had. I'm going to allow the person who ministers and walks and lives in integrity to speak into my life. I am going to walk uprightly. I'm not going to say anything wicked before my eyes. I will not know wickedness. And you think, well, that's awfully unreasonable. And when when it might be easier to pray, oh, God, you know I'm going to fail you today. You know what my weaknesses are. You know what I'm going to be thinking about. So in advance, I'm just asking forgiveness. Is God able to change us? What is, what is the process of Christian maturity? You believe, I know you do, as I do, that salvation happens in a moment. When I trust the finished work of Christ, when I confess the Lord Jesus Christ, because I believe that God has raised him from the dead. In that moment, I'm born again. In that moment, I go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But you know and I know that there's still some things in my mind. There are still some things, as as the book of Romans really spells out in chapter 7, chapter 8, there are still some remainders of that sin nature in my flesh. And this is what is and the mind becomes the battlefield. The spirit belongs to God. The flesh is still saturated with the world. And what's what I set my mind on that's going to determine what I do. But those desires are still there, right? Mmm. Right? And so we so we think, well, what am I what am I going to do? Well, we train ourselves. As we mature in the faith, we're we're always believers. We've gone from the kingdom of darkness to, to the kingdom of light. But growing up is what? It's simply the transformation of our mind. It's learning to think differently. All right? And so what do we do? Do we just sit back and say, well, I'll go to sleep tonight, and hopefully when I wake up, God will have done something different to my mind. It's what we put in. It's what we put before our eyes. It's what we think about, what we meditate on. That is why Scripture is so important. It's why church is so important. It's why praise and worship is so important. It keeps our minds actively engaged in the things that God desires to do with us. Can God speak to us in dreams? Absolutely, and he does. Can he do things in a moment? Can he knock you down on the floor and speak? you? Many of you can testify, yeah, he's done that for me. But the pattern is, over the course of our lives, he trains us and transforms us little by little. Right? Hmm? He's a good, good father. Hmm, yeah, there we go. And so, uh, this is a good psalm to read out loud because it reminds us what we ought to be aiming for, but it's also a positive confession. You read it and you can remind it and say, well... But I did put something wicked before my eyes. And I did allow somebody to speak into my life and minister to me that, that probably shouldn't have. Well, what are you doing? You're going to make up your mind. It's just like waking up with a cold or with something worse and saying, Man, I'm experiencing something that I know Jesus already paid for. So what am I going to do? Am I going to, look at, am I going to look at the word and say, Well, it didn't work for me? Or am I going to say, No, I know my body's going through this right now, but this isn't my portion because He heals all my diseases. He heals all my diseases. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for healing all my diseases. And we say it, I do, I hope you do too, again and again and again till we begin to experience it in our bodies. Now, I know because you've told me, we've had healing lines up here where, when you've told me afterwards, Scott... The minute you laid hands on me, or even before you laid hands on me, I felt this pain disappear. I could do things walking back to my seat that I couldn't do walking up, and praise God. But how many of you have ever had to confess your way to a complete manifestation of healing? A process. Yeah, man, I have. Mm. And that's all right. But it's the same thing with the other side of that coin. We can sit there and wish we were healed. We can wish we were prosperous, or we can start confessing, getting our mouth in line with what the Word of God says. And we can sit here and wish I was a, I wish I was a better Christian. I wish I uh, were more moral. I wish I were more uh, upright in terms of integrity, or I can start speaking this. Thank you, Lord, that I will walk in this way. I will put I will know no evil. I'm not going to tolerate the evil talk around me. I'm not going to I'm not going to let somebody slander somebody in my presence. I'm going to tell them to be quiet because I'm not going to allow my mind to be polluted by this stuff. And it's not just people these days, right? Man, I gotta tell you, I'll tell you the whole story someday. Uh but man with social media and not just social media, the internet in general. Man, it is awfully hard not to put something evil before your eyes these days. Uh, and social media is probably worse than just the news. I know there's fake news and everything, but wow. And listen, I still I still appreciate, uh, I say social media, for me that's just Facebook. I don't Instagram, I don't Snapchat, I don't do any of that other stuff, so I don't tweet. Uh, and, and I still find Facebook a very useful way of keeping up with uh, what's going on in the lives of my friends, my church, the world. But there is so much garbage on there, so much garbage. Uh, and wow, uh, really, kind of, I'm not saying I'm not saying God told me, uh, has spoken to me to to delete Facebook from my from my life. But I got to tell you, if He told me, if I started feeling that way, I could I could kind of see why. Because uh, you got to wade through an awful lot of garbage to get to anything that's useful or encouraging, right? Uh, you know, we're we're living, Dad and I were talking about today, we're kind of living in a world where this Facebook is everybody's, uh, it's like the new Outlook. It's the new, everybody organizes their world around it. This is where we learn about events. It's where we sign up for events. It's where we RSVP and message people. I get it, all right? Uh, but uh, as a parent, it's something we're really having to navigate. This is a minefield. Um, so much garbage out there. But, this is an encouraging psalm. It can be a convicting psalm, and it should be. But uh, praise worship team, you can be coming up here. It's also, it's also an encouraging psalm because it gives us something to confess. It gives us something to pray. It gives us something to say and cling to in his word. David is not saying that just because I say this, that makes it true. David knows what God's will for his life is. And therefore, he's just lining up his words. Look, God, I know what you want, so it's what I'm going to do. Did David do it perfectly? Not by a long shot. But was it his heart to do it perfectly? It absolutely was his heart. And that's why David is known, even though in terms of measuring one man's sin against another, David was a worse sinner than King Saul. But King Saul uh, lost the kingdom. But David gained it. And, and uh, David goes down in history as what? A man after God's own heart. Not an adulterer and a manipulator and a murderer, which he was, but a man after God's own heart. Because this was his determination. He knew himself. He knew the gap between where he was and where he wanted to be, but he spoke God's word over himself. He didn't write in the psalm, I'm a worm, I'm terrible, I'm ter- uh, I'll, I'll never be any good to you, oh God. Oh, oh, just please, please, please have mercy on me. No, he just thanked God for his mercy, blessed God for his mercy, and said, I am going to be this kind of man. We can say that too. I'm going to be this kind of man, I'm going to be this kind of woman. Stand up with me. Mm-hmm. And remember that this all starts with what? Starts with a conversion experience. Starts with being born again. So if you haven't done that, uh, then you're wasting your time talking about, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be provided for. I'm going to set nothing evil before my eyes. You don't have the Holy Spirit working in you if you're not born again. If you need to be born again, if you've never been born again, tonight is your night. When we start singing the song after I pray, come up here and let me pray with you. What Jesus died for, but I'm looking at a room full of people that I'm pretty sure are saved. So, where do we go from here? It's it's another one of those things where I hope, you know, uh, after every sermon, there should be a takeaway. And we say, well, how many times can I recommit my life to the Lord? I mean, I answered an altar call for recommitment a year ago. And I've probably done it five times since I've been saved. And I'm not saying you need to answer an altar call. But I think we ought to be recommitting our lives to the Lord daily. We can certainly recommit ourselves to the Lord on Wednesday and Sunday. So as we sing this song, think about what you just heard. Meditate on it. Mutter it. Jot some things down. Take some notes and say, look at your spouse. Look at your friend and say, you know what? Let's kind of read this thing to each other for the next couple days. I'll read Psalm 103 tonight. You read Psalm 101 tomorrow. Read these things back and forth and make these part of your daily confession. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. You forgive all my sins. You heal all my diseases. You fill my life with good things. Lord, I declare that I am going to set nothing evil before my eyes. I'm not going to tolerate wicked speech in my presence. I'm not going to let mature, uh, faithful men speak into my lives this is a good pattern it's a good start let's commit to doing those things so that we become more effective at living the gospel why because when we're effective at living the gospel it makes preaching the gospel that much more effective and that much easier heavenly father thank you so much for your word thank you for these psalms thank you for 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 king david and and, uh, his heart his sensitivity and his skill with the pen and uh and with the word. And thank you for inspiring him to write these things, Lord God. And uh, help us to grasp them. Help us to, to uh, get those things down, planted, embedded in our hearts. And may our hearts be good ground for the seed of your word so that it would grow and produce fruit in our lives. Father, convict us now. Show us uh, where we are missing the mark in any one of these areas. I don't want to be guilty, Lord, of not claiming the things that you paid a dear price for. I don't want to tolerate poverty in my life. I don't want to tolerate lack. I don't want to tolerate sickness in my life when you paid such a dear price to deliver me from those things. But Lord, likewise, I don't want to tolerate sin in my life. I don't want to tolerate wickedness and weakness in my life when you've delivered me from those things. So help me to set good things before my eyes. Wisdom. Surround me with good people of integrity to speak into my lives, and give me the backbone to silence those who are speaking evil in my presence. I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you tonight, convict them of their sin and grant them the humility, boldness, and wisdom to come and receive the free gift of salvation that you paid for. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.